was the call we heard over and over and over again for a week. Cuba for Christ. And the text this morning is from Isaiah. And Isaiah describes this beautiful vision, this beautiful image of that one day, that one day when God's reign will be complete over all creation and over all the earth. And everyone will live in unity and harmony underneath the reign of God. And Jesus continues that theme with his great commission, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Old Testament is often, is often Israel-centric. But Isaiah is not. And Isaiah says this reign of God will extend from Egypt to Babylon to the whole known world at that time and era. And that's why we go to Cuba. That's why we went. So we can encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ down there. And so we could expand God's reign and God's uh, mercy and his love to those who do not know him yet. And we did that. It was an odd experience. Uh, I can tell you all about the culture, the travels, and all, all those great stories. And if you hang out after, class, after worship for Bible class, we'll, we'll do all that. But what I want to focus on for this message is just what God is doing in Cuba. And what God was able to accomplish because of, of your faithfulness uh, to send a team there. It worked like this. Uh, each of us, there were six of us from our church who went. And all six of us was, were paired up with a translator. And we loved our translators. Uh, in some cases, they were our lifelines. Um, before we went, uh, I was told that people in Cuba were generally smaller than people in America. And I was very, very glad. I'm like, someone smaller than me. Yes. Thank you, Lord. They paired me up with Waldo. Waldo was six foot four, <laughs> 240 pounds. And uh, almost made uh, the Olympic, Cuba Olympic team for team handball, if you know that sport. Guy was, was huge. And then we would uh, meet with a church. And that church would pair us up with a, someone from their congregation. So every visit we had a translator, every visit we had someone from the local church to follow up on that visit. So we weren't going down there and doing our thing and leaving them alone and on their own. Everyone was connected with the local congregation. And you may ask, well, I thought Cuba was communist. How do they have churches? Well, they can't build churches. There's been no new church construction in Cuba since uh, Castro took over, which has been a huge blessing to the church. It's been a huge blessing to the church because they can't build churches. But you can meet in your house. And so what the church in Cuba has done is they have multiplied leaders. And they've told these leaders, start a house church. And they have leaders uh, supervising them and cont continually training them and guiding them and, and directing them. And so there's house churches everywhere. And you'll be walking down the street and there'll be a house church right there. There's no sign but the community knows it's there. And it'll fit anywhere from 5 to 50 people. And they'll squeeze it all in like this and it's hot and it's everyone's sweating and it's, it's, it's smelly and it's beautiful. So 
Waldo and I uh, were paired up at our first church uh, in a town called uh, Ciego de Avila. Right, what he said. <laughs> and Waldo and I were, were paired up with our, our local church partner. And we walked to our first home, first visit. And I'm thinking, how is this going to work? Because in my head, I know this will never work in America. Ever. I mean, can you imagine three people showing up at your house? Hi, we're from the local church. Can we come in? We, we, you know what you do with those people. You don't answer the door. You tell the kids to turn off the TV, and you hide. And I'm thinking, is this going to work? Uh, Cuba is a very relational culture. And so when we showed up, and quite honestly, the American is the foot in the door. We're the, we're the novelty. And that's how we get in. And we showed up, our very first home was Lorenzo and Ophelia's house. And when I say house, I use the term very loosely. It's a cinder block structure, um, smaller than this platform. Uh, no electricity, uh, no indoor plumbing. Um, when we came, they pulled all the chairs they had in the house, and that was four of them, so we could sit and talk. Um, families is very important there, but it's very hard to get pictures. So often you'll see pictures of their family, but they're like decades old. Because that's the best they got. And so I sat down with Lorenzo and Ophelia, an older couple, and uh, started talking with them through, through Waldo. And um, came to find out that they're older couple, and they were taking care of their grandchildren. And almost on cue, their, their grandson walks in the door. Grandson is this chiseled young man in his upper teens, lower 20s. A just perfect, smooth, that deep tan skin, piercing green eyes. This guy's from the cover of GQ. And my first thought was, I'm never taking my daughter to Cuba because the men are, are handsome. They are good looking. And the, the, the parents, were, grandparents are so proud because uh, he worked, he had a job uh, in the local sugarcane factory, making $20 a month, which is not a living wage, not anywhere close to it. But they were thankful that he had this job. GQ got kid leaves. And. Uh, share the gospel with them. And our message was basically this. God created everything. We are all his creatures, but we're not all his children. Uh, because we all have a sin. And we all need Jesus. We all need his forgiveness. And he died upon a cross for you. And he rose to the grave for you to give you his forgiveness and his life now and forever. And if you know Jesus, you can live forever with him. That's it. That's it. Thanks. That, yeah, that's, that's it. That's it. And the people are so hungry for the gospel. They will listen and say, I, oftentimes I would hear stuff like, I know about Jesus, but I didn't know that. 
we would say, would you like to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And Lorenzo Dofilio said, yes. And I'm like, we were there for 10 minutes. 10 minutes. I'm looking at Waldo going, well, what do we do now? <laughs> I was expecting to be here another 40 minutes. I mean, debating and talking and, and, and I, they were like, yeah, that sounds fantastic. We need hope like that. We need hope. And Waldo says, you should pray with them now. Okay, we should pray now. And, and uh, I would pray and Waldo would translate and they would pray after Waldo. We left Lorenzo and Ophelia. And our local church partner said, we're going to a house now where, where they go to our church. But they wanted you to come and, and pray with them. And that happened quite a bit, actually. I said, okay, yeah, let's, let's do that. Happy to do that. So we're walking up to this house, and um, from a distance I can tell it's a big place. It's a two-story home. Very, very, very few two-story homes in Cuba. Actually, we're two stories where they... One family lives in both stories. Usually it's someone renting the downstairs and someone renting the upstairs. But as I get closer, I can tell that this house um, is in horrible condition. It's a cinder block. It's uh, L-shaped. But one part of the L, the exterior wall, has fallen down. And you can see into the bedrooms upstairs. We walk into the, the other side of the house, the, the good side, and the smell of raw sewage is, is overwhelming. And it's all I can do just to not gag inside their home. The interior walls of this cinder block home have worn away over the years, and they're about this thin, a cinder block. And I'm thinking, if two people sneeze at the same time, we are all in trouble, because this house is coming down. And met this, again, an older couple. And we're, we're talking with them. And uh, finally I say, uh, our friend here says, he would like us to pray with you. What would you like to pray about? And here's a family in horrible living conditions, uh, barely, barely, surviving. And they said, we would like you to pray for our children and our grandchildren that they would know Jesus. That's what we want you to pray. I'm thinking, I would, I would pray for food. <laughs> I would pray for a house that's livable. Maybe you should pray for me. <laughs> I think I'm the wrong person to be praying here. And that's what we prayed with them. I don't know their names. We didn't write their names down because we only wrote down the names of those who didn't know Jesus and had accepted him. That was Sunday afternoon. Monday, they sent us to a, a, very, a small village uh, called Vicente, Vicente. And my translator was very excited because he had family in that village. And I said, oh, that'd be cool if you can go walk by and see your family. He said, no, no, we can't. One, we have strict instructions. This is not a visitation time. This is evangelism time. And two, they don't have phones. I can't call them anyway. They, I couldn't tell them we were coming in anyway. And the translators never knew where we were going ahead of time for security reasons. 
So we're walking down this dirt road in Vicente, and there's chickens crossing the road, and there's people and horse-drawn carts everywhere, and people riding horses and, and bikes. And the villages, that's the main mode of transportation. And there's this guy riding his bike down the road, and Waldo goes, oh, hola, it's his uncle. And he meets his uncle in the middle of the street, and I'm like, what a, what a country. What a country. You walk down the road, you see people you meet, right? And you know. And you, I'm like, I pull out my camera. I take a picture of it. What a great moment. What a sweet moment. I didn't know they were standing in front of the police station. Mm. It looked like a normal house. There were kids playing in the front yard. It was a two-story home. The police station was first story. The cop lived upstairs. He was not happy. Comes outside yelling at us. I pretend to be fascinated with the chicken crossing the road. I'm like, uh, uh, no hablo espanol, I'm just watching the chicken, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, we are so in trouble. I'm thinking, team's done. They can kick us out of the country now. Just for that, we could be done. And it's only Monday. I think, why can't I do this on Thursday? Friday, come on. And they, Waldo says, we need to go inside. Like, oh, the local church guy, he's like, <laughs> he's heading off to the side, you know. <laughs> and we come in, and uh, Waldo is, I can tell he's very upset. This big, huge 6'4 guy. And he's, he's working hard to keep his cool. And they're talking back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And I'm thinking, we're done. They're going to kick us out of the country. I, I, don't, I don't know what's going on. And finally, Waldo says, they want you to delete the picture. Like, yeah! Oh, a piece of cake. I can do that. So I pull the camera out. I'm like, all right, here's the picture. Look, it's of them. It's a corner of your building. That's all it is. I show the, the trash can icon. I click on that. It says delete, yes. Waldo translates it. Delete, yes. I hit delete, yes. And the guy goes, all right, okay. We're done. We get to walk out. I'm ecstatic. I'm like, oh, that was easy. Piece of cake. Waldo is, is uh, very upset. He says, um, I'm taking my examinations. And uh, they can flunk me for this. I said, I didn't hear you give them your name. He goes, oh, they know my name. And he said to me, can you take a picture of a police station in your country? <laughs> I said, yeah. He said, can you take a picture of a police officer in your country? I said, yeah, yeah, you, you can. It's not that big a deal. He said, I am so ashamed. He said, he said, we hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. And endowed by the creator with certain inalienable rights. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And he looks at me and says, isn't that true? I said, Waldo, yeah, that's, that's, that's true. That's true. And uh, the church leader shows back up again. And he starts walking us out of town. 
we are going to get as far away from town as we possibly can. We're walking, walking. It's uh, upper 90s, high humidity, heat index has got to be around 105 degrees. And we're walking over a mile outside of town just to get out of there. And Waldo's very upset, and he continued to be upset until we got to her next house, which was a, a mom from the church with two teenager kids, and one had tried to commit suicide by injecting gasoline into his arms. <laughs> Waldo felt better after that. That was Monday. We didn't get a whole lot done on Monday. We stayed way outside of town on Monday. <laughs> and then, um, oh my goodness, I'm running out of time. We met a, a lady that day. Uh, her family said she was not a Christian. I was talking with her. her. Her daughter said, come meet my mom. She's not a believer. She's not a believer. We met her. I was talking with her. found out she is a believer. She just can't, doesn't go to church. We asked her, why don't you go to church? We, she said, well, I went to the house church over here one time, but they threw rocks at the building while we were worshiping, and I'm scared to go back. We met another house church leader uh, that same day, three blocks down from this other lady's house. We asked her, do you have problems with, the with people in this town persecuting you? And she said, no, never. That's Cuba for you. Next day, uh, we're doing our work, seeing people, visiting people. And um, we have lunch at the, kind of the home church we're using as a base. And um, one of the uh, uh, people there is, gets the pastor of this church. The pastor looks around and he grabs our team leader. No, he didn't grab a team leader. He grabbed another pastor. And they walk out, like, fast. They come back later, they grab another pastor who's there from another local church, and they walk out fast. And we know something's wrong. Turns out uh, someone uh, in the community had, had snitched and said we were leaving a conference there, which is illegal. Foreigners are not allowed to leave religious conferences in Cuba and called the authorities on us. And we were instructed to go to the uh, local authority office and to report in. So we, we loaded up in the van and we drove on down there. And uh, they're giving us instructions saying everything you do, everything we've done is perfectly legal. You're allowed to meet with people in their homes and talk about Jesus. That's legal in Cuba. You've done nothing wrong. And if they ask you what you're doing, just say you're meeting with friends of the church. If they ask you if you're leading anything, you're not leading anything. You're not leading, you're not preaching, you're not teaching, you're not doing any conferences. Just tell them that. So they bring us in, and there's this outside waiting area. We looked like, have you seen the movie Ocean's 12? With like 12 people lined up in a jail cell. We weren't in a jail cell, but we were lined up in benches outside, and it was hot. And, and uh, they call... They call one person in, and our team leader, Tad, says, I'm going first. Bring a man who's gone for five, ten minutes. He comes back out, and he says, all right, it's good. They just want to lecture you for a little bit and ask you a few questions. Don't worry about it. It's all good. I'm like, oh, oh that's not so bad. And we're like, well, what do they ask? Well, they ask if you've been to Africa. 
and they ask what other countries you've been to, uh, and they ask if you like Cuba. I'm like, well, I did. <laughs> and, uh, and then they give you a lecture about how uh, you're welcome in their country, they want you to stay as long as you like, you're welcome to travel anywhere you like, but no religious activities. Not allowed. So I'm like, ah, oh, piece of cake. So they bring me in. I was like fourth one in, fifth one in. And they get, I, get the, I get the lecture. And then the guy says, what is your occupation? <laughs> Are you kidding me? No one prepped me for this question. But thankfully, my dad did. And the day before I flight out to Cuba, I was talking with my dad. My dad said, remember, son, you're a teacher. I went, yeah, that works, Dad. I'm a, I'm a teacher. I'm a teacher. You teach history, son. You teach history. I'm like, yeah, I guess I do teach history. Yes, I am a history teacher. And I'm like, okay, that works. So uh, I told the guy, I'm a teacher. He says, what subject? I said, history. He said, what, what grade level? Oh. And I remembered, I teach middle school confirmation. I'm like, I teach middle school, con I teach middle schoolers, 11, 12, 13 year olds. He's like, oh, oh, very good, very good. Tough age group. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it is, it is. And so they, uh, they detained us for about two hours, interviewing us one by one by one, all ten of us. We had six more church, but ten on our team. So the next day, we, uh, we had to lay low. So we went to the beach, and it was the most beautiful beach I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, I've been to Waikiki Beach. It, it doesn't hold a candle to this beach. Gorgeous, gorgeous. But we were doing ministry. It's okay. It's all right. And we had to lay low for a day. And it was, we knew we were being followed from our hotel. And so it was good for them to follow us to the beach. And uh, that helped the local church pastors out quite a bit to not do anything that day. We actually came back later on that afternoon and worked for a couple hours. But instead of going to people's homes, we, we went to the local house church and had them bring people to us to be, to be safer. And there were some churches who debated, some pastors who did not like that idea. There was one pastor of the largest church in that area who had the most to lose and he said, no. He said, if we're getting opposition, we're doing the right thing. We need to continue going, meeting people in their homes. After all, what's one more strike to the tiger? <laughs> lots more stories. We met with lots more people. I will tell you more about it in the days and weeks ahead. Next week, we're going to have a couple folks in the team present and share some of their stories with you. But I want to share with you what you enabled to be accomplished by the grace and the strength and the power of God. Um, because of the complications, uh, we were only to actually work 20 hours total. Because you would work from 9 to noon, that's about 3 hours. And then you take a little siesta time from noon to 2. Because 
No one's answering the door at that time anyway, and it was blazing hot. It was just good to be in the shade instead of walking around. And then we would work from 2 to 5 every day. So we had six hours of work, hard, hard work time every single day. Uh, but because of complications with the authorities, you know, we had a half day on, what is it, ended up being Wednesday. We only worked two hours on Wednesday because we had to get out of town for a bit. And then Thursday, we left the region we were working in to work in another region. And so that was some commute time. So we ended up, instead of working six hours that day, we only worked four hours that day. So the authorities did what they wanted to do. They, they threw us off kilter. And we weren't able to meet as, with as many people as we had hoped and planned. So everyone on the team, all six people, worked approximately 20 hours that week. In that time frame, we shared the good news of Jesus Christ with 145 people. 145 people. That does not include the ones who were already followers of Jesus and we just prayed with. If we include those numbers, it's well over 200 people. Of those 145 people that we shared the good news of Jesus Christ with, 91 accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Just through the six people you sent. Ninety-one. Ninety-one people for the first time said, I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. To put it in perspective, there is a whole other congregation in heaven today because of you. dangerous. Apparently we were. <laughs> That's my prayer for us today. Do not pray for safety. Do not pray for protection. I pray that God would make each and every one of you dangerous. So that when you walk into a room, evil flees. pray that each and every one of you, that God would make you so dangerous that your family and your friends and your co-workers know for whom you stand and for whom you live. I pray that God will make you dangerous. Because it's not just Cuba that's dying without Christ. We live in a valley that is dying without Christ desperately needs to know him. And going door to door around here is not going to work. <laughs> but talking to your friends and your co-workers, that'll work. Because everyone needs hope. Everyone needs good news. 
Everyone needs Jesus. If you get some poor feedback because of that, if you get made fun of that because of that, what's one more stripe to the tiger? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I ask, Lord God, that you would make us dangerous. I pray, Lord, that you would make us as dangerous as the church in Vincente. A church that four months ago had 60 people attending it, and to this day they have 160 people attending. A church that is so dangerous they had to knock out the back wall and make their altar on dirt and with a shabby wood structure because they were growing so fast. I pray, Lord, that you would make us so dangerous that those who stand against you would be anxious and nervous. I pray, Lord, that you would make us dangerous so that when we walk into a room, evil flees and grace abounds. And Lord, make us bold for you. What is one more stripe to the tiger? Amen. Amen.